0: Today we discuss the unique challenges autistic individuals face within the workforce and education system. We share insights as to what your child may experience as well as what they can do to make this transition easier. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is
1: Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism.
0: Welcome back, everybody. We are here talking about subjects that I don't really like.
1: Hey, (laughs) subjects you don't really like. Yeah, all subjects. Well,
0: I'm not really particularly fond of the whole situation with employment and education when it comes to autism, because I feel like a lot of people are not super empathetic to people with special needs or just people who have disabilities.
1: That's fair, because it it forces them to actually have empathy. And I find that sometimes they don't.
0: Yeah, or they don't take you seriously. Right, yeah. right. So let me kind of roll that back a little bit. Today, we want to talk about the unique challenges that are associated with autism, specifically within the workforce and the education system. I want to give you some insight as to what my experience has been as somebody who has invisible disabilities, autism, ADHD, executive dysfunction, among others. And Matt, you can probably share your experience from the dyslexia and ADHD as well. We have basically had our fair share of. Issues, challenges, discrimination, that sort of thing. I want to talk to you from our perspective, but also give you some insight as to what career paths might be better for somebody who is autistic, depending on their special interests and things like that. But just in terms of the environment, there are certain paths that you can take that might be easier for somebody who's autistic than for somebody who is neurotypical, for example. I think it makes sense to start off with education just to be a kind of chronological order of how things probably will happen, right?
1: You have to become educated before you work. (laughs)
0: Yeah, basically, (laughs) basically, in many instances, but not always. With the education aspect of that, when you are considering putting your child through the education system, if you feel like they have the intellect, essentially, like if they don't have intellectual delay or other issues that you feel like would stand in the way of them pursuing higher education, there's still going to be obstacles and challenges, even if you have a child who is higher functioning autistic or who may not have as many challenges. The first thing that I would recommend is if your child is considering going to college, for example, or going to like a trade school or anything like that. I would definitely look into all the assessments that are needed to get accommodations. Sometimes kids at that age will resist accommodations. They will think I don't need accommodations or I don't want accommodations because it's going to kind of flag me as like the weirdo at school. And I definitely would push back on that as the parent because for me personally, going through school before my uh, accommodations versus after my accommodations, it was like night and day. It helped so much.
1: And see, I, I guess when I was younger, I took the accommodations because I was a minor. And then after high school, from then on, I didn't take the accommodation. If and you
0: could tell the difference well, with I was their say, GPAs. If, <laughs> well, <I was laughs> say,
1: and if I did take the accommodations, it is likely that I probably would have fared better, would you say? I mean,
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm not trying to be mean, but I do feel like the reason that you weren't able to perform as well in school as I did is because you didn't have the accommodations and I did have the accommodations. Right.
1: So I had some accommodations. I felt like when I was younger, I had far more, but then in the later years, middle school and high school, it really kind of dropped off as far as like what I was actually accommodated. So, but I feel like that might've been more like a pride thing for me. Kind of like, eh, no, I'm like, I'm an adult now. I don't really need See, and that's exactly my
0: point. That's a perfect example because that's exactly what I'm saying is as a parent, as your child gets older and starts to develop their own identity, they start feeling peer pressure, they start feeling like they don't want eyes on them, they don't wanna be different or feel different, they might push back on accommodations. As the parent, that's really our job to step in and be like, Look, I know this is difficult for you, but trust me, in the long run, this is gonna help you and you're gonna be able to succeed so much better and easier if you get these accommodations in place.
1: It is hard. I mean, from my personal personal perspective because going through elementary and then a little bit middle and high school you stand out from taking the accommodations like I, I don't think anyone that I can recall really bullied me for the most part about my accommodations like I, nothing really comes to mind but the mindset of basically like, oh, okay, I am different from my peers and just kind of like, oh, I don't really like that. And knowing that you're being treated from like everyone else or most of the people in your class, even though no one's really saying anything, it's just kind of like in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, I would love nothing more than just to basically sit in the class like everyone else and just kind of like fly under the radar a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I feel like there's like two different kinds of autistics. There are the ones that will be like that and really, really care. And that's going to be harder. And then there's the ones that are like me and my siblings where we're just like, eh, I couldn't care less what people think. <laughs> so, like, we really don't care. And there are a lot of autistics out there that, like, because we don't really get the social norms, like, we don't care.
1: And that's what I wasn't sure because in your situation, it's kind of the autism. So, as far as, like, that social component. So for me, I was well aware, I mean, aware of like, okay, my peers must be thinking X, Y, and Z about me because I'm not in the class and I have to be pulled out every time there's a test or anytime there's a reading assignment, I'm pulled out of the class. So they must be like, well, where did Matt go? Like what's going on here? I mean, it doesn't take very long to realize like, oh, he's really terrible at like reading or he, he needs a longer time to complete the same task. It's like kind of run scenarios in your mind. I mean, I'm not even sure if anyone were true, but that's how I felt.
0: That's true. And if, if they're feeling, you know, nervous about being outed, there are things that you can do in terms of talking to the education system. Now, this can be a little bit tricky if they are in high school or younger. You as the parent have the right to do that. You have the right to be able to go in and make sure that things are being done discreetly, that your kid isn't being outed, that the teachers are handling it very privately, etc. But in college, it gets tougher because once your child is legally an adult age, you no longer have the rights to do that. And so your child's going to have to learn to self-advocate. They're going to have to be the ones that are going to the disability center. They're the ones who are going to have to ask for the accommodations. They're the ones who are going to have to basically fight for themselves. You will no longer have the right to do that. So that's a little bit of a challenge there too. So we have to work on essentially prepping them to become self-advocates.
1: And I would definitely recommend doing that because like my parents like never really like sat down with me when I was like going to like college and basically been like okay you need to make sure that you are advocating for yourself to get additional testing time or whatever you need. I mean it was kind of just like okay you're heading out to college like you're good basically like it never really occurred <laughs> it sounds dumb. It never really occurred to me to actually try and get additional accommodations. I actually didn't even know that that was a thing beyond like high school. I thought it was just kind of like well now you're kind of in like the like real world because you're an adult like best of luck to you kind of thing.
0: And the thing is in order to do that a lot of schools require rigorous testing and they might require you to get a new autism evaluation that's within like the last three years or something like that. At the beginning, the parents can definitely be involved and will need to be involved if you need to get those assessments done. But overall, it's really going to be a matter of trying to help teach your child to be able to advocate for themselves because at the end of the day, you're not going to be allowed essentially to make any of these decisions in some places will not even allow you to be in the same room or on the same call. So you really do need to basically help prepare your child because unless you have legal authority over your child beyond 18, you're not going to be able to do that.
1: And we have heard a handful of stories of um, autistic kids who have gone to college, which when we've spoken to the parents where they say like, oh, everything started out okay, but then like something happened and it was kind of like a drop in kind of like how they were doing in school, that they were almost like on uh, academic probation, essentially, that something happened while they were there. So I'm not sure if they had the accommodations, if they would have fared better or what the situation is. So it's definitely, I think, something to keep your eye on.
0: And I will again reiterate that from my personal experience, again, accommodations was night or day for me. So I definitely advocate for fighting for those accommodations and seeing what you can get. If there are any accommodations that could remotely help your child, even if you're not sure whether or not they'll need them, get them written down, get them on the paperwork because they can always not use them. You're not forced to use them if you get the accommodations. But if you don't get them, then you can't request them when suddenly you realize you need them. So it's better to have extra accommodations and not use them than to not get accommodations or not get enough and then later find out, oh man, I really needed extended testing time, for example.
1: I almost think of it as like when you're like, are in a class and you have that window of like, oh, when you can like drop the class without having to like withdraw and taking a huge penalty. But if you pass that period, then you still have to withdraw and it marks on your like permanent record or your grade. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar. Like you are better off going in, not needing it versus finding out after it's too late, like, oh no, I need it. And I'm struggling in my classes or whatever the situation may be.
0: And with autism and ADHD, there's a lot of accommodations you can get. So you can get Extended testing time up to 100%. That's what I got, which basically means double the time. So if the test is one hour allotted time, you would get two hours allotted time. You can also get testing in isolation or if there's any projects or anything, you can get it in isolation in the sense that they can provide you a quiet space or a quiet room to take that test so you don't have distractions. Another accommodation that you can get is, for example, if they need any sort of like fidget or sensory input or if they need headsets or if they need a communication device or whatever it may be, they can get those written in there. If they need a note taker, you can get as an accommodation somebody who will write your child's notes for you So, that they can pay attention to the lecture or whatever it may be, so that they don't have to worry about multitasking. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. Another one that I had done is the ability to get my lectures recorded. So, I got an accommodation that I could bring a recorder with me and record it because I couldn't split my focus. So, I had to basically either take notes or listen. I couldn't do both. So, they allowed me to record it. I would take my notes and pay attention in class. And then after class, I could go back and play back to the recording. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do. I would definitely just get creative and not limit yourself in terms of what to kind of fight for with your child. But again, they're going to have to be involved. If this is in high school, you can still do that yourself. Even middle school, elementary, these accommodations are well within like your parental rights to kind of fight for and advocate for. But again, if you go college age, if they're going to pursue higher education, at that point, you really have to just educate your child about these and have them kind of advocate for themselves a lot of people think accommodations end at school. And that's kind of like what you mentioned that you thought they ended quite earlier. High school, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, okay, you're good. Yeah, so it's not only beyond high school into college, but honestly, accommodations go beyond college into your career. And I wanna basically get real with y'all and talk about entering the workforce as an autistic adult and how that can be a struggle. There's particularly a few challenges when you're in school, the educational system, the struggles that you really have might be like keeping up. So maybe you don't understand the directions or you're distracted or sensory overload. Those sorts of struggles might might happen and you can get accommodations in place for that. Once you enter the workforce, you might still have those struggles, but it might be harder to get those accommodations in the workforce. It's a little bit more taboo because in the education system, there's an entire department dedicated to disability services. There's a whole lot of disability acceptance promotions and schools tend to be very accepting and accommodating of differences and diversity. But once you get into the workforce, people tend to see that more as like a liability and they're less accommodating, they're less empathetic. So your kid is going to have to fight even harder once they enter the workforce, if they're able to enter the workforce.
1: Yeah, because I always see on like applications where it's like you kind of like go through and it's like, oh, do you need to check a box for whatever type of disability that you might qualify? And then that kind of goes into the system or the database for the position that you're applying for. So it's always kind of like, do you check the box or not check the box?
0: Yeah. And I had read a study recently because I'm very heavily involved in the accessibility stuff in my current employer because this is something that has impacted me directly. And I It was interesting, I think it was approximately about 74, 75% of people in the workforce who have disabilities choose not to disclose it to their employer. I was kind of shocked at that number, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I'm one of them. I have never disclosed to my employer, and I don't feel like I will unless I absolutely have to, essentially, or unless I feel like I'm doing some good by doing that for me, the reason has always been that fear of discrimination, because one of the negatives is that, yes, it's illegal to discriminate against disabilities, but there's no way to prove that they discriminated against your disability if they use something else as an excuse. Right. Like, they can just kind of catch you into, like, oh, you showed up five minutes late for three days. That's the reason we're firing you. But really, it was because they didn't want to deal with accommodations or something like that, for example.
1: Or it could be something, I mean, similar as like, oh, okay, he's like an average employee, but we have to do cuts or whatever. I mean, it can be, I mean, a wide range of things. But I think, as yeah, right, legally, they would not be able to use that argument to fire you. But there can be hundreds of other reasons they can fire you. Oh, you didn't send an email on time. Oh, you failed to put your timesheet in. Like, there are so many little things that you can be hit up on or any type of like infraction in your workday so it's like yeah obviously they might not choose because of legal reasons to select the major one but they can probably connect the dots and i mean pick whatever else they wanted if they really wanted to get you fired.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to advocating for yourself in a career, that one is a little bit more challenging because if you advocate for yourself, you risk getting fired, essentially. So I have basically kind of found myself walking on eggshells when it comes to that. I'm starting to become more open about it and really working on advocating for disabilities within my company. Um, I'm planning on potentially coming out, but I'm trying to lay the groundwork for that before I dive in, because I want to make sure that they're essentially prepped for it. So I want to prep that palette, make sure that they know what neurodiversity is, the impacts that it could have on all this stuff. And then at the end, kind of be like, by the way.
1: (laughs) You want to almost disclose without disclosing at first and then disclose, like basically kind of like warm them up to the idea and then kind of
0: I want to educate them on what it means first before, because that way they can't make a knee-jerk judgment. They have to be educated first to know what this means before I tell them. It's kind of like when you go around saying, oh, my kid's autistic, without explaining to people what that really means. Like, if you just say that, it doesn't mean anything to anyone. So you have to kind of do the same thing in the workforce, where you have to kind of educate people what it means to work with a disability so that they are aware of the challenges that are unique to you that they're not going through, and then they can learn to be empathetic. Although not everyone will be.
1: Right. But I mean, hopefully, I mean, if you're able to build acknowledgement, then you can potentially build like empathy from there.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to the workplace, one of my recommendations would be to kind of get a sense for the feel and the culture of the place that your child might be applying to. There are some places that you can tell are more accommodating than others. You can usually tell by taking a look at their website and basically seeing what they say about it. And you can kind of judge by the type of people there. I do a lot of snooping on LinkedIn. That's just how I get to know people before I have to work for them. If your child is higher functioning, then that is something that you can essentially do. If they are lower functioning, there are other programs that are specifically to help disabled and neurodiverse individuals. One of the programs that I heard about is called Popcorn for the People. And this is like a popcorn industry that they make like different gourmet popcorns, but they hire all neurodiverse and all disabled people. So they are extremely accepting and accommodating naturally by the nature of what they do. So if you have a child who might not be on the higher functioning and they might be mid or lower functioning and you feel like they are capable of having some sort of a job, that would be a great option. Just looking for those neurodiverse affirming type of industries that do this kind of charity work by allowing and helping people nurturing the disabled to have their own career and independence. Now, if you do feel like your child is more on that higher functioning end and you feel like they are going to be basically going into the workforce at some point in their life. This is, again, for probably the older kids, but even the younger kids. Like I can tell with our girls, at least the oldest one will probably be able to enter the workforce because she's so like book smart, but you can tell that she's going to have behavioral challenges and sensory challenges.
1: So with our oldest, right now we're working on transitions. The struggle there is sometimes she's not ready for the transition to take place, so it will result in a meltdown. So I think if we're able to, as she gets a little bit older because she's only four, if we're able to work with the transition so it's a little bit smoother, And she doesn't have as much of a struggle that results in a meltdown. I think it will be, I mean, easier kind of going forward. It's just we have to find a healthy solution that she feels that she's comfortable and not having all these emotions built up and not sure what to do with them to transition to the next item.
0: And there are ways to kind of accommodate your child by finding a career path that might suit them more specifically with their autism. There are pathways that you can take that might be more appropriate for autistic behaviors or autistic tendencies. For me, for example, remote work works wonders because I don't have to deal with so much of like the social interactions where I'm sitting there freaking out about what should I eat in front of them or what should I say that won't make me sound X, Y, and Z. If you have a remote job, your communications are really limited to exactly what is necessary and there's none of that like small talk stuff. So you don't have to worry about it. It's basically direct and to the point. Every conversation has a point and a meaning and a purpose. So that for me has been really beneficial. So that could be one way for your child to accommodate them in a future career is looking at remote work, remote opportunities. And in a post-COVID world, that has become a lot easier to find. So that's definitely one of the recommendations I would make. Even when it comes to like going to college or even school, there's remote high schools now, remote middle schools. Your child might do better in a physical environment, depending on if they have like our youngest who has hyperactivity and all that. She probably would do better in a physical setting because she needs a lot of like somebody keeping her on task. But our oldest child would probably do better in a remote setting because she is very good at keeping focused and then doesn't have to worry about all the social stuff. So that for me has been really beneficial. Another thing that's beneficial about that is when your meetings are all online, you can opt for turning off your camera. You can opt for basically being comfortable. Like you can have your own sensory setting. You can have an office at home where you don't have to have the lights on if, if they bother you. You don't have to have all sorts of electric components if they bother you. You can basically just be comfortable. You can dress however is comfortable for you. You can basically set your comfort standards to your sensory needs and not have to request that. That's not going to be a bunch of paperwork you have to do just to get HR to help you with accommodations.
1: Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, as far as like the lighting, so I mean, I was in a brick and mortar government building and I remember like the fluorescent lights, because of course it's old and all that, were super annoying. And I remember we were waiting until like the technician or electrician was coming around fixing light bulbs. And then we told him like, hey, can you just like take the bulb out of that one? Like we don't want it on. And thankfully he's like, yeah, sure. So he like took the light bulb out. So you like right above like our desks, there was no light bulb. So even though they turn on the lights, like it would be like around us, but it wouldn't be that right there. But it was just like, kind of like, you don't really think about, yes, when you work from home, you can get a lamp that has a filter or not the bright fluorescent bulbs or whatever. It can be something that's more soothing or you can, heck, you can use a lava lamp. I mean, there's so many options. I mean, there's no one else there, so it really doesn't matter. But it's not something you necessarily think about until like you're already on the job working and you're like, wow, this is super annoying.
0: Yeah. If you do have to have an in-person job, one of the things that I didn't realize that you can ask for. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I worked in an office that had fluorescent lights right above my desk. And this was before I knew I was autistic. And every single day I was getting these migraines to the point where I just kept a bottle of Excedrin in my office because I knew I would have them every single day. And an accommodation that you can request for is to get one of those covers that you can put. There's like these fabric covers that you can put over a fluorescent light and it will basically dim that light down for you. So there's physical accommodations that you can make in office spaces and things like that that you can also request. I know for a lot of you, this is probably way down the line because I believe a lot of our listeners have younger autistic kids. But it's just something to think about if you feel like your child is going to need any of these accommodations, whether it be in school or in their career path later on, it is possible to ask for these things. And a lot of times people don't know it. People don't know that you have the right to ask for these things. And there are a bunch of different options. So I would just look up on the internet, just look up like autism accommodations at school or the workplace. There are lists out there of things that you can ask for. And if your child is going in college, Or if they're going to be entering the workforce, even if they're 16 or so, they need to be able to learn to advocate for themselves and advocate for these accommodations. It's never too early to start teaching your child how to do that for themselves and how to instill those principles.
1: Yeah, I agree. Always have a game plan. And I mean, at whatever stage of life you and your family are at, at least know that you do have options to get these accommodations and then figure out, okay, what is the next accommodation we will need for the next uh, milestone that we are hitting in our life? And then just kind of go from there.
0: We're not really advocating for accommodations just for fun. Accommodations really do make a difference. We're, we're advocating for them because they made a huge significant impact on my education and my life outlook. Honestly, Matt, you've talked about how you kind of regret getting not getting accommodations in college and how that would have made your education life a lot easier.
1: Oh sure I mean, I wouldn't have felt as pressured or uh, time crunches. I mean I felt like on some of them I was just submitting paper or whatever. Or a test within the standard requirements, but I was like, oh, I probably could have used <laughs> additional time to basically go through it or take the time to th- think through what I was actually trying to put on the piece of paper. And I mean, it resulted not the best situation for me. And I mean, some of the papers or tests didn't, <laughs> didn't go so well.
0: And there's no shame in asking for accommodations. That's something that kids often feel is they feel shame. There should be no shame in it. Everyone's brain works differently. I mean, I will do that saying again that's attributed to Albert Einstein about the fish being judged by its ability to climb a tree. But, you know, that's what we're doing if we're trying to require kids who are neurodivergent to basically take normal standard approaches to exams, school, workforce, education, and not accommodate those. We're basically judging you by your ability to climb a tree as a fish. So that's what those accommodations are supposed to do. They're supposed to even that playing field so that your child can be tested fairly and basically be at the level of their peers that's nothing to be ashamed about. And that's just what I want to drive in my children's minds. I want to just drive that thought deep. Hey, it's not your fault. It's not an advantage to have these accommodations. It is neutral ground. It's setting you at equal level to your peers. And with that, we will wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening. And again, if you would like to hear more on this topic, feel free to send us an email podcast at autismwish.org. We'd love to hear from you guys. Hope you enjoyed it.
1: All right. See you next time.
0: Bye. Bye. In summary, although autism presents unique challenges when pursuing education and careers, we know that there are certain steps your child can take to make the transition easier. Specifically, your child has a right to request accommodations in the workforce and school, such as clear step-by-step directions and expectations, extended testing or task time, sensory accommodations, as well as a remote work option and beyond. It may also be easier to pursue a career path that complements your child's strengths and special interests. Lastly. There are also nonprofits such as Popcorn for the People that specifically help provide jobs and mentorships to autistics and other disabled youths and adults who have difficulty transitioning into the workforce. Tune in next week as we talk about the impact that autism has on sleep and answer questions such as, why does my child struggle to fall or stay asleep? What can I do to help my child sleep better? And when should I be concerned about my child's sleeping behaviors? This is Embracing Autism.